Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine, and as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out, and then I realized I actually didn't, but I'm handling it. And one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. Now, I am so thrilled to bring on today's guest, actress Alexa Davies. Alexa has starred in a wide range of productions, playing the character Meg in the CW's Dead Pixels, young Rosie in the hit film Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, and her most recent role as Julie Mugford in the HBO Max limited series, The Murders at White House Farm. Many of you know that the current COVID-19 pandemic has severely impacted the film and television industry. Just last month even, the Primetime Emmy Awards were conducted virtually. For months now, film and television productions have been shut down, but luckily in the US and other parts of the world, crews have been able to come together to start up production again. Alexa is from Wales and currently lives in the UK, so I am very interested to hear how her work has been impacted by the pandemic and how it's affecting new projects that she's working on as well. I'm so excited for you all to hear from Alexa and learn about a few of the different projects she's worked on. So you know what to do, turn up the volume, get comfortable, and I hope you enjoy. Well, Alexa Davies, thank you so much for coming on to chat all the way from across the pond. Um, I'm so excited to have you on. I'm so excited to be on. It's been a long time coming and I'm really excited that we're finally doing this. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I had mentioned to you earlier that I sort of came across you and your work while I was rewatching during quarantine Mamma Mia. And I had started looking into projects you've worked on and characters you've played and you've done so much. And I love that you know, your work, everything's sort of different from the next. And we have a lot to talk about. There's, and we'll of course be talking about Mamma Mia, um, but we'll get into that later. For right now though, I really want to just start off by how you got involved in acting. And you're from, for everybody who doesn't know, you're from Wales. Yeah, I'm from a really kind of a small town where not a lot of people are from. Um, I mean, obviously people are from there, but <laughs> kind of recognizable name so like Chris Evans he grew up not far from where I grew up but apart from that there's not many actors from from there so I kind of got into it really quite miraculously <laughs> in that when I was 14 um I was at my theater group that was like a weekly thing you'd go for two hours and and learn stuff about performing and one day our artistic director came in and said, there's a film coming to town um, you can go and audition. I think they just want cheap labor. <laughs> and so all of us are like, oh my God, we're going to be movie stars. Right. Uh, so I went and, you know, it was, it was cool. It was like a couple of auditions and I got a part in the film. And then it was the most bizarre summer. I turned 15 that summer and we made this film uh, in North Wales, in my hometown. And the, it, my artistic director was right. They did want cheap labor. I didn't make a penny out of it. <laughs> but um, but it, was kind of, it was the most amazing thing because I got to make a film with really legitimate people. Like our B camera operator on that film is a guy called Ben Semenov, who's just been Emmy nominated for directing for Ozark. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of the actors are still kind of involved in such amazing projects that it really was a miracle that for some reason a film came to my tiny hometown and needed a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, this and that's it. the thing. I think, like, 
any work is work in a way. And from, you know, what I studied film in college and, uh, you know, from talking to people, friends who work in the industry that I know, um, like if you could get anything, any sort of role or, you know, even as a PA job on set, take it and use it as a building block because... As you know, I'm sure everything's just a building block in acting and film and television. Yeah, work makes work as well. And like, I can't believe that film ever happened. And I'm so grateful because from that, I got my agents who for some reason just like took a gamble and and signed me like a year later. And from then I just, I started booking TV shows, which Mm is, it's just mad when I look back. And it's the most heartbreaking thing because I get a lot of messages from people from my town because like I say it's very small it's a kind of working class area not a lot of families have the money to go to drama school and and do all of that take that kind of route into the business Um, and I find it heartbreaking to kind of have to turn around and say what happened to me is like a miracle and I, I don't know what to say like I didn't train and I did just start when I was 16 properly and mm-hmm. yeah and sometimes kind of you get lucky yeah yeah exactly it is massively luck this industry and I've been very lucky mm-hmm. very grateful for <laughs> well as I had mentioned you know I've I've been to the UK I've never been to Wales actually it's on my list because my my last name's Roberts and it's very Welsh my dad's very. side of the family is from from Wales and uh, pretty much all from Wales and I've always been wanting to get over there but I'm just curious so Did you find it harder to sort of book and get into the industry being from Wales? You know, typically, I guess you would think London or maybe bigger cities, bigger areas like that. Um, Or or was it fine? Was it easy to get access into the industry? I think it's definitely, I, I mean, I don't know. I say this from my experience, but from the outside looking in, I think it's definitely easier for young people in London to get an agent like mm-hmm. no experience to just go all of the open castings are here and I do think it is easier so coming from Wales like I say what happened to me was amazing and a miracle from then the things that did stop me a few times is everyone everyone kept saying um oh we can hear her Welsh accent because I, mm-hmm. and I was like I've got no idea what they're talking about but my mind's gone now I've flattened it out ever since I moved to the south all those years ago <laughs> um there was a bit of that but also sometimes with jobs they they say that you have to have a London accommodation like a London base Mm -hmm. because they won't pay for your accommodation and I was really lucky my sister was actually in university in London so if that happened yeah I could stay with her but I do think it's harder for for people outside of maybe not just London I think people in cities will Mm -hmm. have more opportunities because there's a lot more there and it's easier for people in cities to deal with kids who are nearby Right, But uh, I, I was really lucky. My agents, Joe and Bill, who took me on, were amazing. And mm-hmm. they had such good connections and really kind of put their neck on the line and said, like, we really believe this girl can do it. So I did I did start booking things quite quickly. Not a lot, not huge things like, you know, an episode here and right. a short here. And, but it, it was great. I was really lucky and I got a good momentum going quickly. Well, that's great. And yeah, I was just curious because, you know, from I guess where I'm at in the States, I was born and raised in northeastern Pennsylvania. I always say if you're familiar with the television show The Office, um, it's in Scranton and I'm, yeah, Scranton's a real place and I'm about like 30 minutes outside of there. 
So for me, though, the area I, you know, wanted to study journalism and go to school to learn about film and television, and it's, there's not a lot for that year. So I, you know, moved to New York and started going to school in New York City, and then I graduated and started living in New York. And yeah, it's interesting because, like I said, I don't know much of the UK in terms of industry and what areas um, are best for it. So I I just find it interesting how um, individuals sort of get involved in the arts, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's such a weird kind of world. Like, people can come from anywhere. I think more so now as well, people will live anywhere. Like I know actors who are incredibly successful who live miles away from London. One of my friends who's doing incredibly well has decided to live in Paris. Wow. (laughs) Much easier, I think, once you have have kind of a foundation and a relationship Mm -hmm. with casting directors and producers in London. But I do think for that initial stage, you've got to be readily available. So I didn't actually, I started, I booked my first television gig when I was 16 and I didn't actually move to London properly until I was 18. I moved briefly when I was 17 to do a play. But um, so for those two years, I would get an email saying I had an audition and I would go on the train and sometimes I would do like, like this three hour journey to London, do my 15 minute audition and then go back to Wales. <laughs> and that was very taxing. And I think that really added as well to, it's really hard when you start off because you get very emotionally attached quickly to these parts and, and you really judge yourself if you don't get them. And so adding on this whole kind of, it would take a day out of my life to, to get there and do that and come back. It, it really kind of added a lot of pressure to it mm-hmm. especially at such a young age as well yeah yeah and I mean if it's polite of me to say you're still like you know young as an actor you're 25 and yeah. um, you've worked on so many projects though in that short amount of time which is absolutely incredible thank you very much <laughs> well yeah so let's start you know I guess we could dive into some of the projects you've worked on because over the past couple of years you've really been taking on some big roles, some big projects. Uh, as I mentioned before, the musical romantic comedy, Mamma Mia, here we go again. You star alongside a cast of people. My goodness. Um, Lily James, Jessica keenan Wynn. Uh, you play a young Julie Walters, which, wow. And I mean, of course, there's also Amanda Seyfried, Pierce Bronson, uh, Colin Firth, Christine Baranski, Meryl Streep, and Cher, to name a few. Um, what I guess we'll just start off like what was that like just starring in such an iconic film like that in such an iconic franchise as that and then having that cast of people as well it was absolutely terrifying and in that it was the audition process to start off with I remember when they called and said uh, Nina Gold cast it over here and Nina Gold is someone who I, who I had a good relationship with and she cast me a couple times before and my agent called and said Nina wants to see you for the new Mamma Mia film and I had no idea a Mamma Mia film was happening mm-hmm. and then he said they want to see you for the young Julie Walters and I don't know how familiar you are, familiar you are with Julie's face but I don't look anything like Julie Walters. <laughs> She is a huge hero of mine. Mm-hmm. So immediately course, yeah. I just started laughing. I was just sat in my living room with my boyfriend. I just started laughing. I just thought it was such a stupid thing <laughs> happening in my life that I was going to go and sit. And I had to sing. I had to go and sing um, I Have a Dream. And we, we had to do a couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it was terrifying and I just I that's the most nervous I've been I don't get too nervous anymore with castings mm -hmm. but I was shaking before I went into that one sure and then the whole casting process was crazy and I just kept thinking like I think this is going really well but I look nothing like her <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually they were they called and this this is before they found Lily that but they basically offered it without mm -hmm. officially offering it because they had to find a Donna first. They had to right. match it because worst case scenario, they might have found a Donna who was a foot shorter than me and then it wouldn't have worked. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, so that was just terrifying on its own. And I worked so hard. I remember thinking like, I could absolutely do this. I like, I know I can do this. <laughs> and then as soon as they gave me a job, I was like, I cannot do this. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot dance. I don't know what I'm doing. But they trusted me, and that was great. There's a lot of intensive rehearsals. It was six weeks of dancing and singing and, like, rehearsing the scenes with the girls before we even turned the camera on. So it was, mm -hmm. it was a lot of prep, a lot of costume fittings, a lot of wig fittings. Right. It was different to anything I'd ever done, bigger than anything I'd ever done. And it, it that kind of helped because it meant that the care that they had was a lot bigger and the attention to detail and it was slower because they mm -hmm. could because they could go a bit slower so that was great but then there'd be moments like I remember the first time I met Julie Walters it was like we were mid dance rehearsal <laughs> <laughs> and then the director all walked in all the most caring wonderful man in the world and I just saw it on his face and I just knew I was like oh my god Dame Julie Walters is about to walk in and I was red and sweaty <laughs> she said was like oh my god here's the actress who's playing me and she's blonde and she's got big blue eyes <laughs> like oh, it's terrifying the whole thing and then I mean it's a lot it's a lot to take on it's a lot and I was again they were amazing the whole mm -hmm. cast the whole production team were amazing and it was such a bubble it was hard to kind of keep your feet on the ground sometimes because you were being treated like absolute royalty <laughs> so nice and I look back at every second of it and just can't believe that it happened yeah um whilst also at the same time constantly panicking that my accent was wrong or that my dancing wasn't do you know what I mean like it's just always that thing of going reminding yourself every two seconds that this is a film and people will see it but <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's being really nice now and they're walking around with nice fancy snacks and we're just mm -hmm. gonna like sing some other songs this is a film and people will see it so it was, it was a, you know, a double-edged sword the whole time, really. Sure. And that, I, you know, I had an amazing time. But I do, I do remember being quite cynical the whole time of everything as well. I've always reminded myself of going like, this isn't real life. And I mean, it's, it I could imagine. I mean, I, you know, I could only imagine it's overwhelming. Um, not only are you, you know, acting, singing, dancing, the whole thing. Um, but you're starring alongside such mega talented stars. I mean, you sort of have, I guess, like the legacy cast, if you will, like the original cast yeah. and, um, which is like Julie and Meryl and Christine. And then, you know, you have sort of the new generation, um, the, the newbies of like Lily James is also, she's been having herself a great couple of years. Uh, I just saw the trailer for Rebecca that they released a couple days ago and, um, yeah, it's just such a great cast of people, but then just such a fun film and such a fun frame. Oh my gosh, Mamma Mia, the soundtrack, the <laughs> ABBA. I mean, it's everything. 
Um, and I, yeah, I, I think I had mentioned to you that I had just rewatched the film uh, recently. I had seen it once in theaters when, you know, going to the movies to see a film in theaters was a thing. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I had rewatched it in quarantine and just even the costuming, like it's all so fun. It's amazing. The costumes are amazing. Our, our costume design in the show, it, it, oh my God, it was incredible. And every time, like, every time I see clips or pictures and I'm with someone, I'm always like, oh, this is actually inspired by this ABBA outfit that, because <laughs> Michelle's like, the care and like, the, it was just amazing how she designed those outfits. Like, everything was inspired by ABBA or like the, the first outfits we wear in that, the Kiss the Teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, song you then see in the on the set of our dorm room that the curtains match our clothes and there's cutouts in the curtains like they've made them themselves I just Mm -hmm. thought it was so cool I loved it yeah and you know you were talking before about uh Julie Walters and not being sure if you would I guess fill her shoes um but I think the personality you really matched personalities from her character in uh the film and you know, your sort of newbie character, you did, you really matched personalities and were just sort of spitfires and fun. And it was just so great to watch. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you. <laughs> that's good. Cause that's what I was going for. I knew I wasn't going to have brown eyes or like, you sure. know, a smaller frame, but if I could do like feisty and, and mm-hmm. spunk, what I was aiming for. Exactly. So now I have to ask, and this might be a really stupid question, but are you an ABBA fan? Oh my God, of course. <laughs> I know, it's so weird. I never think about this. I've never been to America, but I know that in America, wow. you guys, I know. <laughs> I know. In America, you guys aren't huge on like ABBA history because of Eurovision, I think, isn't it? Right. So that's so funny because I, my mom loves ABBA. Like we, you know, always had it sort of singing in the house growing up. And um, I went though a couple years ago, I was in college at the time. And I had studied abroad. I went to Trinity uh, in Dublin and I studied abroad there. It was so much fun. And they gave us that week, you know, during the fall term where you can take like the week of traveling, whatever. And we, uh, a friend and I, we went to Stockholm and we went to the museum, the ABBA museum, and it was loads of fun. But for me, it was just so cool because I love ABBA and, you know, obviously I come across people in the States that love ABBA, but to just be in the museum surrounded by people from all these different places, it was wild. But then Eurovision, I had never really heard about that until I had saw on Netflix a couple. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> finally educating America on Eurovision. I'm so pleased about it. <laughs> yes. And I had no idea, you know, that this sort of world, if you will, existed. And my gosh, it's incredible. I'm just, I hate that I didn't know it existed. It's insane. It is absolutely wild and it gets crazier every year. And it's just been confirmed, I think, that they will do Eurovision next year because obviously it was cancelled. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, they, because that's how everybody knows ABBA. They came because they won Eurovision in the UK. They won it in Brighton uh, with Waterloo. So ABBA in the UK, everyone knows ABBA. Like, it doesn't matter right. if you were born yesterday or born 40 years ago. Everyone knows all of the songs. Everyone knows about, you know, how they were married and Benny and Bjorn. Everybody, mm-hmm. like, you know, not Benny. They weren't married, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah it's, so for me, it was, uh, you know, I didn't panic about the songs or anything. Jess, who plays um, young Tanya, she 
kind of saying that she had heard of them and was definitely a fan of music. But when she came here and because every member of crew knew every word mm-hmm. to every song and she just didn't, she was saying that they don't have that then. That's so funny. Yeah, I, I feel like it's probably not as big as, you know, over in Europe, but yeah, I have not, I've never met someone that disliked ABBA though, which I think is pretty special because it's, that's hard to come by, I guess, in terms of bands yeah. and musical groups. Yeah, their song, they are some of the oh. best songwriters that have ever lived mm-hmm. and you just can't hate them. Yeah. songs are so good. Oh, they're so good. And like, every, like I said, everybody can just jam out to them. So good. The fast, the slow, it's, they're amazing. And I'm just so glad that, you know, the whole Mamma Mia franchise I guess came came about because of it yeah I was it was so great with the second film as well to do kind of the lesser known song like Kiss mm-hmm. the Teacher and and why did it have to be me and right and I sing a song on the album called Kisses of Fire which I'd never heard before but is now like one of my favorite not to be biased but it's one of my favorite because <laughs> they just have so many it's never ending mm-hmm. well and I like how um you know, in this second version, I guess you can say, they took, even just Mamma Mia, they sort of put a twist on some of the songs they did in the film before, which is fun to just have yeah. something different. But Yeah, definitely. There's some, there's some songs that you just can't miss out, can you? Mm-hmm. Like Dancing Queen and like Mamma Mia and oh, yeah. Super yeah, You just can't do a Mamma Mia film without them. And I was a bit, when I first read the script, I was a bit like, oh, okay, that's, we're doing them again because that was terrifying because we were doing Mamma Mia and I was like oh you want us to recreate the song that Meryl did cool okay <laughs> great and Super Trooper as the finale number wasn't confirmed for until really? like, like a week before we did oh god it was not confirmed for ages because it Super Trooper is one of my favorite songs it's my favorite mm-hmm. number from the first film maybe Voulez Boo I can't decide but um it wasn't confirmed for so long and then when it finally was confirmed I was so happy I've signed Super Trooper with Cher and Meryl Streep. That's how I like to class it. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I think for anybody who hasn't watched, you know, the first or the second, the remake, um, they have to, they have to. It's it's just such a great, such a great film. The music, it's amazing. But yeah, so um, there's obviously <laughs> a lot more that you've done since then. Um, you also star in Dead Pixels, which I had found while I was researching. And that just seems so amazing. So it's a CW comedy for anybody that doesn't know that takes a look into gaming culture. You played a character, Meg, and she has these friends that you're all really dedicated and obsessed with sort of the computer gaming world. And yeah. that's definitely a different role. Yeah, massively. It's She's still a very kind of feisty young woman with a, a lot of confidence. Um, but yeah, I love playing Meg. She's got, is that kind of, again, bringing Will Ferrell into it again, because he's the king of everything. Mm-hmm. He does, he talks a lot and, and does a lot with misplaced comedy. Like a lot of his characters are grown adults with fully formed brains who just do like crazy things because <laughs> they are confident that it is fine and will work out. And like, exactly. it's like the whole stepbrothers film. It's just the two of them mm-hmm. believing that something will be fine. And I think Meg has a lot of that. It's a lot of, some of the things she says and you just think, how can you think that that's correct? Right. <laughs> she goes for it and because she believes it. And it is, I love playing that. And that's what makes me laugh so much. The amount of times as well where she will, there's this character, Alison, that she lives with who is kind of the polar opposite to her. 
and she's got this great life and she's very together and you know she works mm-hmm. out and meditates um and when they have arguments those two characters Meg and Alison I just love how brave Meg is with her opinions of things and will tell Alison how wrong she is even though Alison is completely right <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I have to say so it's a um UK comedy correct yeah yes, yeah so it's year um and then when we were about to make the second series December just been we heard that the CW were gonna put it out over there which is so exciting Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy to, um, and I guess we can get into that later, but how the pandemic has sort of shifted scheduling of shows, television especially. I mean, films, it's also being really affected by in terms of television in that sense and cable programming. You know, they have to film fill the slots somehow. And it's, at least here in the States, it's, I don't know how they're going to do it in terms of shifting uh, scheduling to get stuff on, on air. Uh, I know some projects are starting up again, but it's wild. Yeah, it is, it's going to be such a thing of trial and error as well, mm-hmm. because everywhere's different too. Like in the UK, we're now hearing that there might be a second lockdown, um, which I don't know if that would affect working sets mm-hmm. I don't think it would um right. but it will affect it's just so weird the rules here are so weird at the minute because mm-hmm. you know I could go and shoot a movie with 10 people but I can't have six people in my house <laughs> yeah exactly and I think it's very similar here over in the states too um and I've tried to you know not be too, it's hard to sometimes you know not be too critical but I, I try in the sense that I'm like this has never been done before. And hopefully, God forbid, you know, it won't happen again. But I hope that, you know, if something like this does happen again, that we will have a better take at the rules and as regulations as to, you know, what should and shouldn't be. Because it is a little bit of a mix and not everything is in sync, which I think, you know, as you said, is the same over there. Yeah, it did. It just put such a full stop on everything, didn't it, for so long? Yeah. And now things are kind of happening slowly. Right. It just got, but it carries on and picks up pace. Yeah. Well, yeah, I saw that, you know, um, the new Batman film with Robert Pattinson had started up. And then I think it was him who actually had COVID and yeah. production had to shut down again. So it'll be interesting to see. But you know, you do have some, speaking of like new works coming out, uh, HBO Max recently debuted a trailer for the miniseries, The Murders at White House Farm. It's set to premiere September 24th, and it's based on a true, true crime story that I didn't know much about of three generations of an English family who were murdered in their family farmhouse. It's a bit of a dark one. It's very, very sad. And it's it's strange because I do so much comedy and I like Mamma Mia mm-hmm. and bits like that. And but for the last two and a half years it's been a lot of of sad things and surprisingly a lot of true crime, which mm-hmm. is such a popular genre now. Right. Uh, I've done I've done um two I think I've done four since Mamma Mia mm-hmm. um that have all been true crimes about you know things that have happened in the UK um and White House was the first that I did and it, you know it's incredibly so I need to stop calling it White House because every time <laughs> I speak to someone Amer- American they're like oh no, it's the murders at White House then <laughs> yeah it's an, it's an incredibly sad story and yeah the, the character kind of at the center of that is a guy called Jeremy Bamber 
who was eventually found guilty of the of the murders but still claims his innocence which is just stupid if you ask me yeah and you play his girlfriend in the show correct yeah I play Julie who who kind of in the first like three episodes I'd say is a very quiet presence Mm -hmm. because at the time that things were happening uh when people just assumed Jeremy was like the other victim of the case and you know he was mourning and people were kind of you know sympathizing for him uh Julie is was kind of very quiet in the background the whole time because I she knew the whole time mm-hmm. what was happening and then eventually she came forward and it changed everything well it's I'm really interested because like I said I didn't know much about this until I started researching into it and it's quite grim and uh <laughs> scary if you will um I'm not a huge horror thriller I like thrillers but when it comes to the scary, it's it takes me a minute to get used to. But I think, and maybe that's how it is over there in the UK as well. But here in the States, um, we have, a, I guess as a society, a fascination with the true crime. I mean, just on cable alone, we have shows like Dateline and 2020, where we look at uh, cases and how they're being solved and if they're unsolved. Um, and there's so many shows that have come out recently um on Netflix alone um well even Tiger King in a way is like a a weird crime show and it's just I think people are really fascinated by it and um yeah it's a genre I guess if you will that is really doing well and there's definitely a market for it massively it's so I think we're just also interested in like the macabre and Mm -hmm. and the things that we I for me I think what draws me to it is like seeing these things happen that I will never understand how a human being can be capable of of such actions right. you know what I mean like this whole Jeremy Bamber throughout this whole case to just think that a he was capable of of committing this crime against his own family mm-hmm. to then lie and the way he acted afterwards was just like mad the things he would say and the way he would be with people like he would make jokes and then pretend to cry and Mm -hmm. and he would like act really sad but then one time he said to his girlfriend um oh I should have been an actor because of how well he was doing oh just it's like makes Mm -hmm. my spine tingle like and I, I I love watching them there's a great one on in the UK right now called Des about Dennis Nielsen who who was a serial killer in North London and then I uh, at the end of this month in the UK, I think it will be available in BritBox um, in Great. the US. I have another one coming out called Honor, which is about the murder of of a young Turkish-Kurdish woman called Banaz, who was the victim of a so-called honor killing because mm-hmm. her, her own family killed her. Wow. 15 years Yeah, I know. And that's what I mean. There, there is such a huge market, but they're, they're happening all the time. There's always true crimes being cast or, or being produced and or being aired um mm-hmm. and I, it's amazing it's an amazing thing to be a part of it's a very weird thing to be a part of because right. you are playing somebody very real everyone I've played so far is still alive mm-hmm. and have either have either been heavily involved or have not been involved at all so that's always a weird balance of kind of figuring out whether they're going to be happy about sure. what you're doing what but it is yeah it's an incredibly um, it's a, I don't know really how to explain it. It's such a weird thing to be a part of because you meet the families and the people that you're mm-hmm. playing or, you know. 
It's, yeah, I was going to say how much research, I guess, goes into it. So you actually meet some of the families that were affected by these events. Yeah, I didn't meet Julie, who I play in White House, because mm-hmm. she, she moved away not long after the, the case was finally closed. Um, and she did not want anything to do with it, which is completely understandable. Um, but yeah, I've met, I struggle with it a lot of the time. So the, on the three others I've done, I've met one, two, oh my God, it's hard to keep track. Oh, yeah. this is so, uh, I've met a few of them. And a lot of the time, some of the time, you know, they're really happy that mm-hmm. the show is being made and the story is being told. Um, and that, you know, they're very happy to meet you because, you know, it's cool for them to see what's kind of going on and, and how mm-hmm. you're portraying them. Because a lot of the time, you know, we're playing very real people. We're not playing like celebrities who you can watch tapes of. And right. it's not like when you're sharing a role with Julie and you can watch Mamma Mia 1 and and decipher kind of where you're going to mm-hmm. place young Rosie. You're playing people that, where there's no footage of them and or very little footage of them and you've just got to kind of base it off who they are from from what you hear of other people or or how they reacted to certain situations they were in it's really difficult and there's so there's such limited research you can do Mm -hmm. but yeah and then it's almost like do you want to research you don't want to research too much into it at times maybe because I'm sure it can get dark and it's a lot. It's a, a heavy role to play. And I, I'm very excited for the Murders at White House Farm to release. Um, yeah, I, I feel like just over the past couple of years, well, it all started for me. I started to get into crime and thrillers when um, Gillian Flynn, I think, is uh, the author who wrote Gone Girl. And she wrote like Sharp Objects. And they obviously made a Gone Girl film. And then they did the whole series, miniseries on HBO of Sharp Objects. And that's what sort of got me into the whole um, true crime, thriller, horror genre, if you will. And um, yeah, so I'm very excited to see this. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see your character and I guess learn more about her in a way, Um, especially because these are real people, as you said. Yeah, it's nothing like Mamma Mia. So, so <laughs> great yourself. But it's it's not, you know, it's it's also it's not kind of a scary thing. It's it's more of a a kind of psychological kind of dip into that. But also the this happened in the 80s this case. So it's also really interesting to see um how the police kind of reacted to Sheila, especially who mm-hmm. was one of the victims who was framed for the crime. Uh, and they just found it really easy to believe straight away because she had uh, she had been on some kind of medication for her mental health and had dealt with schizophrenia in the past. Okay. And the attitude towards mental health back then was just that you were either crazy or you weren't. Sure. And, um, you know, they didn't realize that it's, you know, much more complex than There's that. There's more to it. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting kind of politically to see these these grown men just immediately point to this one crazy woman and say mm-hmm. oh, it must have been her even though none of the evidence points to that yeah it, it's gonna be interesting I'm really excited to check it out but yeah like I said I that's why I was so excited to have you on the podcast is because you've played such a wide variety of roles um everything really is different from the next in terms of characters you've played and genres you've been in 
Um, and I just, yeah, I was super interested to just hear your take on acting and learn about these different projects you've done. And I hope for anybody out there, they can definitely, if they haven't seen you already, definitely, you know, tune into some of your work because it's great. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, there's plenty of it. Like. <laughs> right. Well, and especially right now, I know you're sort of work, which is great. You're working on some projects during the pandemic. Um, like we had mentioned, stuff is sort of starting to uh, take up again and productions uh, kicking off in some parts of the country and some parts of the world. So how has that been going? It's been it's been kind of good. I've been really lucky. I, mm -hmm. I did the second series of Dead Pixels last December. Haven't worked since, but I'm about to, I've, I've signed on to two projects. One, and they're both really different. One is just a short film that will take mm -hmm. three days maximum. And that's in London. So that will just be a case of kind of completely distancing from people whenever I'm at work and staying safe that way. The other means I'm going to have to leave the country <laughs> for six weeks without a break, which is this, I keep saying this to people, like whenever you're, you're doing any kind of negotiations for any job, it's always tricky. But now there's this added layer of okay, well, that's the money and that's, you know, how long it's going to take, but how mm -hmm. do I have to stay in a hotel room the entire time? Because right. I think I might have to, whenever I'm not working. <laughs> yeah, it's so like, oh Bring a God. couple books. <laughs> bring, bring 10 books, a coloring book, everything. It's just, and Robert Pattinson made it worse because he got ill and shut down Batman, which now means that I think they're on high alert for cast members going out because without like trying to sound completely ridiculous, cast members are the people that are irreplaceable once you start. <laughs> as soon as you've shot something, then replacing them is kind of just like the last option that, mm -hmm. that people have. So you have to stay healthy. And now that's really difficult, not difficult, but you know, there's just such high risk out there. Right. And I think, um, and I don't know a ton about, you know, the entertainment industry, but from what I do know, I also know that it's very expensive to start these projects up. And yeah. I think that's why it becomes super important to be making sure everybody is ready from the actors to the staff on set. Uh, everybody is ready and healthy enough to go back because it's not just like you're showing up <laughs> that day to work. Like it's really a lot goes into that, um, yeah. that whole process. And it is, it's a financial toll. So um, like I, you know, we were talking about Batman. Um, I think that's just a really great example because they were filming. And I think back in March, they stopped, they halted it. And that's a huge production. And then, you know, they kicked it off again. And the, the main actor, <laughs> Batman himself was sick. So it, it's just really, it's crazy in terms of how that affects post-production as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, but yeah, Godspeed to everybody working on all these projects right now, uh, you yourself. Um, it'll be interesting, but at least it's a start of trying to regain a little bit of normalcy. Yeah, exactly. And new content because I can't watch Parks and Rec anymore. I mean, I can, I can always watch Parks yes. and Rec <laughs> Uh, you know, something new would be great. <laughs> right. I know Parks and Recreation and The Office are pretty much, it's just for me, background noise, honestly, yeah. like just if I'm, you know, unloading the dishwasher or just kind of on my computer scrolling, it's just something to have on in the background, like white noise. And um, I started Schitt's Creek again. I don't know if you watch Schitt's Creek. 
It's so good. And I had, you know, watched it a bit ago, but you know, I've been coming home to Pennsylvania and spending time with family during this pandemic because what else is going on? Um, and it's been nice, but yeah, I got my parents and, uh, even some of my friends back home in Pennsylvania to start it up and it's, it's just such a great show. So that's been like, I guess something new, but yeah, there's only so much on TV and as crazy as that sounds, um, I find myself a lot, like with all these different streaming services, we have Netflix and prime and HBO. There's nights where I'm just like, I can't find anything to watch. (laughs) Yeah. It's sometimes too much is a bad thing. Right. (laughs) Just put shit's squeak on again. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Which isn't terrible to settle for, but (laughs) yeah, I'm really excited for some new content to to be coming out. Um, and Alexa, you know, it's been awesome having you on the podcast, but before you go, uh, with this being handling it, we like to ask a piece of advice that's helped you handle your life. Uh, maybe a lesson you've learned along the way as an actor in general, um, what's helped you handle your life? Um, I would say if I could say anything to myself 10 years ago, I would say slow down Mm -hmm. because I think everything is just such a race and I remember when I was like 10 I was like I'm gonna win an Oscar by the time I'm 15 and and then when that didn't happen I was like okay well I'm gonna win you know an EGOT by the time I'm 18 and (laughs) I think social media doesn't help because you see you see everyone's successes and I think it makes you panic about how that's not happening to you or in any kind of not just at work but you know relationships or or financially or Mm -hmm. anything but I think I would just I would have loved for somebody to tell me to to slow down and really kind of appreciate everything because without getting too morbid, (laughs) you do only live once and, and you do get a short time. And I think ever since I, because I've only really realized that myself a couple of years ago of like how lucky I am and how much there is for me to do and, and, you know, to see, and that's what I, I would really, especially young people like who think that they are, not successful when they're like 15 and it's like Mm -hmm. there's so much time like it's you've got so much time yeah I think it's really important to enjoy the moment you're in and I forget where I heard it if it was a TED talk or what but somebody had brought up how we're always and I think what you were saying comparing our success to others and you know it we spend so much time as young adults it's like oh when are you gonna get married when are you gonna have kids like when are you gonna win this award or that and it's like, let's enjoy the moment we're in. And especially right now, um, as society has sort of slowed down in a way, I think it's important to just slow down your your personal lives, take a breather and regroup and refocus and just enjoy the moment you're in. Because, yeah, I, that may sound morbid, but it's sort of beautiful in a way. Like it's you only have sort of this time right now. Um, it's important to remember. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's really great advice and something super important, as I said, right now during this whole pandemic time, we have uh, this opportunity to really just take that time for ourselves and refocus and yeah, (laughs) hope people take that into consideration. Definitely. Take your time. Take your time, guys. You've got loads. So speaking of social media, where can people find you and keep sort of following along with your journey, all these new projects you have coming out? I am, I'm Alexa Laura on Instagram and Twitter. I don't really tweet a lot because I don't, 
have a lot to say. I don't I, care about things. I know <laughs> it's terrible. I I myself feel like I don't use Twitter. I don't tweet anything out, but I use Twitter a lot, like just in terms of like news consumption. And I I think what other people say is more entertaining than what I have to say. So like, I just love to, you know, just scroll through Twitter. I'll do that a lot. So I shouldn't say I don't use Twitter. Like I use Twitter, (laughs) but I'm just not putting any content out. (laughs) Yeah. I don't, I don't know how I could contribute, you know, to things like that. Cause like you (laughs) When you follow such funny and interesting people, when you think about what you like, but I'm like, how do I contribute? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'll appreciate instead of right. trying to think every time. <laughs> it's like probably my, I, I shouldn't say a life goal, but definitely something I would love to accomplish one day is having one of those. You just see so many clever tweets on there that go viral. And I'm like, how do these people think of that? And I feel like I have those thoughts throughout my life, but I'm like, how do you put that down on a tweet and send it out? And it goes so viral. Love it. (laughs) I wish that could be me. But yeah, (laughs) Alexa, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Well, I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Alexa. Not only was it so fun to discuss with her all of the different roles she's had and projects she's worked on over the past few years, but it was so interesting to learn about how the pandemic has impacted her as an actor in the entertainment industry in the UK. As she mentioned in our conversation, Alexa is working on some new projects right now, which is so exciting. So if you want to follow along with her journey, her social media handles are listed in the episode description box below. So thank you, Alexa, so much for coming on, and thank you, listeners, so much for tuning in. As always, let me know what you thought of our episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast, and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.